How many of you have anticipated this? I've anticipated our being together in this word specifically. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us right now one more time. I'm grateful for the leading of this place. I'm grateful for Josh. I, pray, I, I just want to pray. Jesus, let us not miss you. It's in your name I ask these things. Amen. As we get into the book of Galatians, one of the things that you need to understand is this was a, uh, many theologians believe this to be the Magna Carta of spiritual freedom. They believe this to be the creed by which drove the Reformation. In fact, one theologian wrote like this. He said, the book of Galatians has been conferred as the Magna Carta of spiritual liberty, the battle cry for the Reformation, the Christian's declaration of true independence. It is clearly the Holy Spirit's charter for spiritual freedom for those who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Many church historians maintain that the foundation of the Reformation was laid when the writing of Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians came out. The great German reformer said, The epistle of Galatians is my epistle. To it I am wed, as it were. Now, he was married to Catherine. Okay? But he says, to it I am in wedlock. It was out of this careful and submissive study of Scripture, especially of the book of Galatians, that Luther delivered God's plan of salvation by grace, working through faith, a plan unalterably contrary to the thousands of years of Roman Catholic teaching that taught salvation by works, of which he was very familiar. A priest who had been trained in Catholicism. The reason this is so important is because he heard from someone who had been trained in Judaism for centuries that salvation came by works. He, taught, he reads the hand of Paul and there was no other apostle who knew better, who knew understood better the bondage that comes by legalism and the law and the freedom that comes by grace. Salvation that can truly come when we come home and we turn to Jesus. And so Paul's writing this letter with a fervency. This is the only Pauline epistle you'll read in all the New Testament where you do not see a commendation. He does not commend the Galatian churches whatsoever. He starts by introducing himself and then he just hammers home the truth the whole time. He doesn't go, hey, I commend you for this. He just hammers it home the whole time. Why? Because this place meant something to him. You see, we know Paul, the Apostle Paul, as by another name to begin with. His life started as Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus was just to the southeast of where this letter was circulating. In modern-day Turkey, what was, what was then Galatia is modern-day Turkey now. In the southern region, you had four cities. You had Antioch, you had Lystrum, you had Iconium, and you had Derby. These four cities are, uh, formed a regional body of Christ, a body of believers that he's writing to, and this letter is circulating amongst these churches. Antioch was the place that he planted, and it is the first place in the New Testament that we saw people who followed Jesus called Christians. And this is incredibly important to him. What he's up against is there are Judaizers who have come in and they're demanding of all the Gentiles that they first must become converts of Judaism before they can become Christians. And then of those who were Jews there, he's, the Judaizers are chastising them, saying, you've got to teach them how to live by the law, otherwise they won't know how to walk as Christ. And so Paul comes in and says, that's a lie. No, 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 it's not by the works of the flesh. It's not by the bondage I found in the law. It was by grace. It was given as a gift. So walk in what you already know. Don't listen to these liars. And so he fights. And we're going to look at all of chapter 1 today. We're going to look at all of chapter 1, and we're going to look at the first five verses and then the last 13 verses immediately because Paul's going to give his credentials. He's going to tell the Galatian churches why they need to listen to him because nobody understood 
the power of the law and the power or the bondage of legalism better than him. He understood it because he was even more educated than the people who were lying to them. He knew it better. But then he gives for four verses right in the middle his big challenge, his big gut punch, if you will, to the church at Galatia. And it's his reminder. It's his loving reminder. Now, here's the thing. While he preaches and he's teaching through this letter with a fervency, it is because he is passionate about them knowing the truth and he loves them deeply. Amen? How many of you have ever, how many of you have ever had someone who loved you fight for you? When you were lying or you were immersed in lies yourself, you had someone come in with the truth and they fought for you because they loved you. Amen? Well, that's what this letter is. And so for, church, for us, church, here it is. Galatians equals true freedom. That's the spiritual theme here. If I were to title this sermon anything else, I really debated on it, but I didn't, it would have been, it would have been these three words. But when God. Amen? How many of you have ever had that experience of but when God? I was headed one way, but when God, and I went a whole different way, and that was the blessing. Amen? All right, here we go. Galatians 1, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, grace. This word is charis in the Greek, charis, which is a change. Greetings would be charin. So he says charis. He is starting his entire letter with the main point, this one word. You can be saved by grace and by grace alone. That's it. That's the whole theme of this thing. So he goes, grace to you. I'm not going to say greetings. He does this a lot in his Pauline epistles, but it holds a ton of weight for Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. How many need to be delivered from this present evil age? Can't hear you, church. According to the will of our God and our Father, whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jumping to verse 11, he says this. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my own people, and extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Here's those powerful three words. But when God, amen, say it with me. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I may preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went, up from Jer- I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, which is Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God and what I'm writing to you, this is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Sicilia. I personally unknown to those churches in Judea that are in Christ. They had only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith they once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. There are three things I want you to grab today before we get into it. There are three things. Paul's going to tell the Galatian church we have to change our perspective, we got to change our position, and we got to change our prayer today. Those are the three things he's going to tell us. We're going to walk through this together, and he's going to start by saying this. I was delivered. How many of you are delivered? 
Amen. I was delivered. He said, salvation came to me in Acts 9. You've probably read that story. It's pretty famous. I was headed up to Damascus to imprison those who were of the way. I had papers sent from the Sanhedrin to get Ananias and all those who were following Jesus in Damascus. And as I was riding on my horse, a light shone around me on the Damascus road, a voice boomed from heaven, and it knocked me off my horse. Literally knocked me off my horse. How many of you have been knocked off your horse before? Headed somewhere and God stopped you dead in your tracks. He said, my salvation is personal because when he spoke to me, he said, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against my prodding of you? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And he said, what would you have me do, Lord? So when you see Paul write throughout the New Testament, he says, not the Savior, he says, my Savior. He doesn't say the Savior, he says, my Lord. It's incredibly personal to him. He had a personal experience with Jesus on the Damascus Road. It wasn't ambiguous, it was real and personal. And he is saying that in that moment, I got knocked off my horse. I was headed one way and my trajectory changed. Paul's salvation and calling were personal. They drove him. It was a complete and utter course correct, but it was the right one. He was no longer seeking justification by the law by his own flesh, by his own means. It was the gift that came to him by Jesus. And he goes, and I need you, church, to listen to me. I don't know how you got knocked off your horse. I don't know if it was, I'm 28 and I'm still not with anybody. And I have no desire. I thought I'd be married by now. I don't know how you got knocked off your horse. If you got that news that you didn't expect at work of a job change or a job loss, and that knocked you off your horse. I don't know if, if that news came that she's not going to make it. I don't know if what knocked you off your horse was you went home and he packed up and took the kids. I don't know what knocked you off your horse, but here's the truth. Paul says, I was delivered, and I was delivered for something. How many of you believe that God has a God-given dream for you, a blessing, a breakthrough that he promised to you, much like he promised to Paul right here. We're about to read it in black and white. How many of you believe he has that for you? Amen. How many of you go, but I haven't felt that yet. I haven't been there yet. I'm still inching towards it. I haven't seen it yet. How many of you starting to lose a little hope that maybe it's not real? Maybe I missed it. Maybe I didn't hear him accurately. He says, I was saved for something. Paul believes it. He understands that he was meant for greatness because of one verse. Like many of us, we believe that God is doing something, but it hasn't come yet. Acts 9.15, the words spoken to Ananias repeated to Paul were this. This man, this one right here, this is why it's personal to him, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, to their kings and to the people of Israel. This was loved by Paul. It fueled him. It drove him. It gave him purses. He says, I'm going to be someone. I aspired above all my other contemporaries in Judaism, but I was chasing and I was playing in the wrong well. I was playing in the wrong pond. But God did intend something for me. There's something great, something divine. I am the chosen apostle of God himself to the Gentiles, and God set me apart from my womb. Here's the thing. How many of you love to read Acts 9, 15 like, God made me someone? Amen? Paul did too. But here's the thing. This is where we got to change our perspective. you got to change your perspective because you got to read Acts 9, 16. 
And Paul don't like to talk about Acts 9.16. Hello? You and I don't like to talk about Acts 9.16, which says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. God, I'm going to be someone. I don't really want to talk about that, suffering stuff. I, don't want, I ain't trying to hear that, God. I'm trying to get hooked up. Let me, talk you, let me walk you through what happened from Acts 9 to Acts 11. So in Acts 9, Paul's 28 years old, Saul of Tarsus. He's headed to imprison Ananias. He gets knocked off his horse. He goes into Damascus for three days. The scales fall off. He's prayed over, and then he leaves. He hears these verses. He hears, you're going to be someone. Doesn't really like listening to 16, but he heads into Arabia. For three years, he does not go up to Jerusalem to learn from those who are of the way. He goes by himself into the desert to have some solace and solitude with the Lord himself. It says that he was not called by any man or any men. He was called by Jesus himself. That's what he's talking about right here. So he goes off into the desert of Arabia to get alone for a quiet time with God for three years. And the revelation of God comes upon him. How many of you think if you've had a quiet time for three years, you might come at that and go, I'm ready. Paul been with Jesus alone in prayer time for three years. He comes out of his and goes, I'm ready. It's time. I'm going to be someone. And he heads up to Damascus. He goes right where, where it all started. He goes right back to Damascus. And, and they come alongside him. All those who are of the way, they look at him and they go, hey, hey, Paul, you got to get out of here. They're going to kill you. So he goes, okay, that's all right. I'm going to head up to Jerusalem. I'm going to go talk to the guys who were apostles before me. I'm going to go meet Peter. I'm going to go meet James. I'm going to talk to these guys. He's there 15 days. 15 days. This is Paul. This guy is like, kick a door open, right? Zealous. Like he speaks with such a fire and a fervency that the people are like, he's taking on Hellenistic Jews. He's telling the Jews they're wrong. He's trying to fire up the Christians and All the Christians, not the Jews, the Christians come to Paul and they go, Paul, we got to get you out of here. They are going to kill you. You've only been here for like two weeks. They're going to take your life. And in Acts 9.30, it says they sent him off to Tarsus. Now, to, to you, that may not mean much. See, Paul left left Tarsus as Saul of Tarsus. And he was somewhere between 6 and 13 years old. And we talked about Nicodemus last week and how he was the best of the best of the best, memorized the Old Testament before he was 15, word for word. And Okay, this is like the next generation of the best of the best of the best because somewhere between 6 and 13, this guy got selected by Gamaliel, who's on the Sanhedrin, on his way to become head of the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling body that was the most powerful in all of Judaism. These are the chosen people of God. They consider Gentiles dogs and Samaritans worse. So who do you think they believe the head of the Sanhedrin is? He's like the highest priest possible. He is the closest to God. This is the most powerful religious position in the world. And the head of the Sanhedrin selected Saul of Tarsus to take his job. And he's just waiting. He's just waiting and he's being trained He's waiting for someone to die so he can take that spot. Hello? So this guy is sitting here, sent off by by all of Tarsus. Like Saul's going to go be somebody. 
Like all of Tarsus like, you get it, Saul. And he comes walking back with his tail between his legs to Tarsus. What do you think the conversation of friends and family was around the title Saul of Tarsus when he comes walking into Tarsus? Like, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be ruling from Jerusalem. You're supposed to be running the world, setting us free, the people of God. Here it comes. What are you doing in Tarsus, Saul? What are you doing here? And Saul speaks up. He's like, man, don't call me Saul anymore. I met Jesus. I got saved. They're like, what? Hold up. You did what? And they go, nah, we ain't having that, man. No wonder you're back. You better get up out of here. They say that for the next 10 years, Saul lived by himself in a cave. He wasn't in Tarsus for one year. He wasn't there two. wasn't there three. At the beginning of chapter two in Galatians, there are three very powerful words, and we're going to look at them next week, and I'm going to say them to you right now. It says, after 14 years... Those, those 14 years, let me do the math for you. Three years in Arabia, came to Jesus, 28, goes off to Arabia, 31. Comes back, I'm ready. They go, they're going to kill you, get out. To Tarsus, Barnabas does not show up looking for Paul to Acts 11, 10 years after the fact. He is 41 years old. Can't make a living. This was the revered teacher, paid a large sum, fame and fortunes, to be a teacher in Jerusalem. And this dude is now, can't make a living. He's going back to the only thing he knows to do, and he's making tents in the marketplace of Tarsus, living up in a cave by himself amongst the hills because he's been ostracized by everyone. Can you imagine the conversations going, how humiliating, how humiliating is to have all this clout and be dumped, right? And then, can you imagine the people of Tarsus walking around? Like, you see that booth over there? That used to be Saul of Tarsus. Look at that dude. That, wait, the one you've, yeah, the one you've heard about. The one that was greater than all the Judaizers. Greater than everybody. The one that, like, he was greater. They're, they're like, persecuting right now all the churches in Galatia. They're trying to take him out. They're trying to turn him and convert him back to Judaism. And he was, like, the chief of that. But there he is, making tents. Worthless. How many of you think, how in the world are you going to waste the prime of your life? 28 to 41, Barnabas comes showing up at 41. Grabs him, and for the first year, it says Barnabas takes him, they go up to Antioch. And they plant a church, and he spends a year there. This is the first place that the people of the way were called Christians. And after that, he heads into Jerusalem to start his ministry as the apostle Paul, the apostle to the Gentile. <laughs> I want to, you know, when this text, this letter was first written, there were no chapter breaks. You know that? Like it was just one letter, okay? If you had read all of his common, like all of his credentials in the first chapter, and we haven't read the part that he's trying to say to them. We're about to get to that. But then you read, and after 14 years is the page turner on 
on chapter 2. Let me encourage you, that was not broken out till later. It's not like just reading chapter 2 is like the start of Galatians 2. Not to them, it was all one consecutive letter. When I say this, it's the beginning of chapter 2. It's the beginning of chapter 2 in Saul of Tarsus becoming Paul the apostle. This is the apostle Paul's life. His second chance. Meeting God in the blessing and the breakthrough. That's where he's coming to. His chapter 2 for Paul. They, most of these people during his day died in their 50s. He didn't get to start chapter 2 until he's 42. Hello? So I, I just want to hold that. Because Paul says, I was delivered for something. I meant something. Here's the point. Galatians, I need you to hear me. You were too. You were delivered. You were set free for something important. And to the church in Philippi, he wrote it like this. Uh, in 1 verse 6, he said, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. How many of you are grateful that God has not forgotten the work he started in you? And that God will bring the work he started in you to completion. He will. But how many of you have lost a little hope that he will? And it's kind of turned from like, he will, I'm ready to circumstantially things got dark and it's like well maybe or maybe I misheard him or maybe maybe that wasn't real at all so Paul is fighting for the Galatians he says I'm not going to let anyone lie to you I'm not going to let someone steal the opportunity in you to be developed into the full picture of God's image and all that he has for you but you have to do your part he will and he's always on time and he's perfect and he's not stopped but you have to do your part what is your part you have to be confident that you have to wait. You have to be confident that, he, that he's going to do it, and you have to say, I will wait. David wrote like this in Psalm 27, 13 to 14. I remain confident in this. There's that word again. I will see the goodness of the Lord. Amen? Let me time out. This is like a declaration of hope and faith in not what you can do or the failures of David. David is saying, I trust that God, when he sets it in motion, nothing's going to stop it. He says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So I'm going to wait upon the Lord. I'm going to be strong, take heart, I'm going to wait upon the Lord. How many of you know that God has given you a promise, a blessing, a dream, a God dream that there's going to break through one day. You're going to come to this place. We're going to meet God and the kingdom will advance in a dynamic way through you. How many of you know that? And how many of you go, I don't know why it hasn't happened yet. Can I encourage you this morning? Maybe before you are able to join God in that breakthrough that he promised you, that he is doing, that he's not a liar on and he's going to see to completion, maybe before you can be a part of that breakthrough, he's got to break some stuff off in you. Maybe he's breaking off your cynicism. Maybe he's breaking off some of your flesh. Maybe he's breaking off your faithlessness. Maybe he's breaking off the fears that actually drive you. Maybe he's breaking off a little bit of legalism that someone taught you to train in well-intended and loved you, but you've been holding to say your Bible, read your Bible, say your prayers, but it hasn't brought you the abundant life that Scripture speaks of. You've been hoping 
on this religious rigor to finally breathe life. Paul says, look, it's not about that stuff. Can I just encourage you? It hasn't been 13 months in quarantine yet. Can I say that? 13 years that dude waited. 10 years in Tarsus. Humiliated. God's preferred method in developing you and I is waiting. It is all over the Psalms. Wait upon the Lord. He said, you may hate it. You may want it to stop. You may want to grab your breakthrough. You may want to run to that blessing. But God says, look, it is coming. But I have to develop you in order for you to join me, to embrace it, to really move forward and advance my kingdom the way I asked you to. I'm breaking some stuff off in you. I'm bending you. I'm molding you so that you can bear more of my image. Like you can bear fruit of who I actually am instead of yourself. You can bear Paul... The apostle, not Saul, of Tarsus. Hello? Did you know that David was anointed king of Israel and wasn't invited to the party? We go back and we read that. It was all his brothers parade in front of of Samuel and he wasn't even invited. He's out in the pasture watching the sheep being faithful. He's anointed that day and 13 years later, he steps into the palace to take the throne. 13 years From the pastures to the palace. I don't know what it is about 13 years. But David and Paul, two patriarchs from the old to the new, walked for 13 years of development with the Lord. You say, man, I don't want no 13 years. I I hope it's not 26 for you. The only way that we assure that we get to work, and it's not... not 13 years it's like 13 months is when we turn and we wait upon him and you go but I'm tired of waiting man I'm getting weary on waiting is that anybody here I've been stuck up in my house can't see nobody I'm tired waiting I'm weary can I encourage you can I just challenge you with one thought maybe you're not weary from waiting on the Lord maybe you're weary because you've busied yourself with this dream Maybe you are busying yourself chasing after this dream, trying to make this thing happen yourself, trying to bring that breakthrough yourself. When God is trying to break stuff off in you, you keep fighting him. You keep kicking against his prodding, and you are busying yourself, so that's why you're tired. It's not weary from waiting upon the Lord and getting into that quiet time, that solace, that that time where he can reveal stuff to you. You keep chasing a reason. And here's the thing. God will show us. Paul would tell you personally, stop chasing a reason. God's not going to reveal when and where. He's going to reveal himself. He's going to give revelation. Many theologians believe that when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 12 and he showed us a vision of heaven that God had given him that had revealed to Paul, they say that that revelation came to Paul while he was in Tarsus for 10 years. Just sitting there in the marketplace making tents and then a boom, heaven opens up in his mind. What is God trying to do in you right now? What is he trying to develop in you right now? What is he trying to say to you right now? So we have to change our prayer. We not only have to change our perspective, and we got to see things the way that God does, we got to change our prayer. we got to stop praying, God, get me through this. we got to start praying, God, get to me through this. Speak. I don't want to miss you. I want to know precisely what you have for me. And I want to know what I've been delivered for. 
So Paul says, you were delivered something. I'm going to fight for you. I'm not going to let anyone lie to you. I want to make sure that you get this. Much like Jesus told Nicodemus last week, Paul tells the Galatians in the first chapter, in order to be truly free, you've got to go back to the beginning. Here he says it in Galatians 1.6. I'm astonished. Listen to these words. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one, me, who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And we have already said, so now I say it again, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than the one that you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And I now am trying to, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. What he's saying here is this, and this is important. You got to change your position. You got to go back to the beginning. How many of you left your first love, lost the joy of your salvation? He goes, You got to go back to that moment. He says it here twice, and that's with emphasis. He says, If anyone is telling you something different, if they're trying to teach you that you have to go through Judaism in order to be free, Man, not only do I want them to be cursed, I'm going to say it twice. I hope they're thrown into hell for lying to you like that. Hello? He is so desperately in love with these people and with them to know the freedom that comes by Jesus. He doesn't want anyone lying to them. And so they have been told and they are turning to this pursuit of legalism through religious rigor, by learning the law, by memorizing these, these things, these rote prayers, by looking at the law and trying to avoid it. He goes, stop that. It was set free by Jesus. That's it. And if you want to know precisely why you were set free, you've got to get to know him. He's not going to reveal when and where that breakthrough's coming. He's going to reveal himself. And he's going to break this religious stuff off of you because it's keeping you in bondage. In church this morning, I think the message is the same. I think he's trying to break some stuff off of us. Because we have been too guilty of trying to place our faith in what is passing away instead of turning the one who's eternal. Religious prestige, political systems, pious pursuits, these things are all dying. They're all passing away. He condemns these false teachers who are giving it away. And the truth, the truth is that Paul gave these men and women the truth of the gospel and he was better than these Judaizers who were lying to them. He left all of that to live a life of discovery for 13 years. 10 years making tents. Risking his life even right now to affirm the gospel because these Judaizers were now trying to kill him. And Paul says this. What I learned in discovery through those years away by myself is this. That I can't be searching for a reason as to why the breakthrough hasn't come. What I need is to pursue Jesus so he can reveal to me who he is, who I'm not, and what I've got to do to bear more fruit of who he is. Can I ask you today, church, if you've been doing this religious thing for a long time, how much have you changed? How much have you transformed? How much has your life changed? Not... I'm not asking how many religious terms or verses have you memorized or things that you've been able to do to add to the life that is ultimately still run by you. 
I'm asking how much have you given up your life and in submission found grace and freedom in him alone and your life starts to bear fruit of that now. You look completely different than you did walking in. You're not as angry. You're not as dissentious. You're not as gossipy. Your life is changed because of what Jesus did and that's what Paul is crying for the Galatian church to hold to. He's saying you got to change your position. you got to go back. you got to have God's perspective on this. You could never save yourself, so I'm going to save you. He said, you got to stop praying, God, get me through this, and start asking God, get to me through this. Teach me. Make me vulnerable. And I'm going to change my position and allow you to speak louder than any other voice in my life. Nothing else will be important. In fact, I'm going to get away from the teachings of man just to seek you. And how many of you are grateful that your breakthrough is still out there, even though you may not be experiencing it right now? How many of you are grateful, listen, even if God's preferred method in developing you is making you wait, that God is always on time? So hear me, listen. They may have been saying of Saul of Tarsus, man, he's wasting the prime of his life. Look at him, how humiliating, how he missed it. Listen, God is not wasting you. You have not missed it. If that promise is out there, you can still hold to that breakthrough, but you got to turn to him. God is always on time, and he will do it. But you got to do your part. you got to be confident that he'll do it. And you got to turn and say, I will. His timing and plan is perfect. In order to embrace it, in order to live that abundant life, be truly free, we got to change our position. we got to let him influence us over everyone else. we got to change our perspective. we got to see things just as he does. And lastly, we got to change that prayer. How many of you have been praying, God, just get me through this? How many of you have ever prayed that way? I know, look, I know in pandemics, some of y'all be, just get me through this, right? I have. I've been praying that way. God, man, how do we get out of this? Quarantine has been like not even 13 months. We got to change that prayer. It's not, get me through this. It's God, speak to me. Get through to my heart. Let me stop stiff-arming you. Let me stop letting the things you're trying to do in me bounce off of me. God, get to me in all of this. Show me what you want to do. Instead of asking why, I'm just asking, what are you doing? So, Father, as we close our eyes and the band comes back, I want to ask that you'd have your way in this room right now. Heavenly Father, true freedom comes. That breakthrough, that freedom, that blessing comes when we are completely confident in who you are. And we place that confidence upon you, not upon ourselves, because you're the one who did the work. You're the one who made the promise. So you're the one who began it and will bring it to completion. So anyone who's listening to my voice in this room, if you go, I have been doing the religious thing for some time, but I'm not experiencing abundant life. Today, will you turn to him and just say, God, I need some time like David did. I need some time like Saul needed. I need to become that picture of what you wanted. And that means you're going to have to break some stuff off of me. So what's breaking off first, God? What's going away first? Have your way. Do that in me. And if you're here or you're listening online and you go, I don't know him. Hey, I want to tell you, there's a God who loved you so much that he gave his own life. That you could know life and know why he created you in the first place. You could live a life not in 
depletion, but in abundance. And if you want to know him, I'd love to talk to you. Please email me at prayeratthefellowship.cc. Like Paul is writing to the Church of Galatia, I want to help you with the steps of pursuing him and starting a life in him that is alone free. Father, we love you and we thank you. We ask that you'd have your way in Jesus' name in this room. And I pray that you begin with me.